This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, social media influencer Danae Mercer joins the Shift to talk about body image, body image issues, men, women online, women's issues, and plus some eating disorder conversation. It's perfect for every parent, for every mom, dad, aunt, uncle, uh, every woman. I mean, 95% of her followers online are women. Just online content that affects everybody. Joining us from Italy and getting up to date. Dr. Gunda George, professor and head of the Department of Medicinal Chemistry at the University of Minnesota, joins us to discuss the new contraception pill for men. How about that? Birth control for men. And on the International Dispatch with Chris Gilbert, Sir Christopher joins us and shares stories from around the world, including cherry blossoms in Tokyo and roving flamingos in the U.S. and so much more. This is the Shift Podcast. Time to go on a tour around the world with Chris Gilbert. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. Christopher! Sir Christopher Gilbert joins us here on The Shift. Buddy, how are you? Oh, hello. It's good. I'm good, man. Look, you might see on the Zoom call here, Shane, I've got a little bit more daylight in the room. The days are getting that. longer, you know. Um, the, birds are, the birds are buzzing, the bees are singing, you know. And some oh, are the here. bees chirping again? Yeah, Love it when the bees are... chirp. Yeah, the bees are just a hum, buzzing and humming and singing their little songs amongst the the sakura petals, the cherry blossoms. It's a lovely time over here in Tokyo. Thank you very much for the photos, um, my friend, uh, uh, my friend, my friend, my friend Todd Inafuku, uh, who is from um, Hawaii, and he his heritage is um, Okinawan. And even though he was born and raised in Hawaii, um, his family heritage is Okinawan. And he introduced me to the cherry blossoms with some beautiful stories about his wife who's passed. And um, and those stories that he shared about cherry blossoms for me have stayed with me. So uh, last year and this year, Chris sends me pictures of the cherry blossoms. Absolutely stunning. Is that all close to your house, those things, by the way? No, so the ones I sent you, Shane, I actually um, got out of town for a couple of days. Um, I went to a place called Hida, which uh, nobody should ever have heard of. It's a tiny little fishing port in the middle of nowhere, about two hours outside of Tokyo. And I went there specifically to do nothing, just to uh, look at the water and just do nothing for two days. Um, and I accomplished that goal. Um, but I actually, no, I failed at the last moment. I did something. I uh, went for a walk and I looked at the cherry blossoms. So all of those uh, sakura, all of those cherry blossoms are just around that little fishing port. Um, but yeah, it was lovely. And, and they are now in full bloom, Shane. They're like, so we have like, we have, uh, there, there's the, the sakura forecast. You know, the news follows every day, like where the sakura are starting and where they're ending. And usually really? it goes from west to east throughout the country, up the country. And uh, so Tokyo at the moment is in the, the peak. It's peaking. It's going off uh, with uh, with the, with the cherry blossoms at the moment. Everything is just thriving. So um, it's usually the time of year where everyone has their hanami, uh, which literally means uh, flower looking. It's uh, when people sit under the cherry blossoms and they get raucously drunk and have picnics and celebrate spring being here. It's actually for like a lot of um, companies kind of a rite of passage for the rookie employees and new employees to go to Ueno Park at four in the morning with their big picnic blanket and sit there reserving a spot all day until the rest of the employees turn up. You used to be able to mm -hmm. go and just like mock all these like first year people in the park. 
you know, just sitting on blankets all day playing Pokemon Go on their phones for many hours. <laughs> um, but the governor of Tokyo, uh, you know, Koika Yuriko, or as uh, the Olympic head Thomas Bart called her, Koiko Yuroiko. I'll never forget that. Um, <laughs> she has said... Sounds like an 80s pop band. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I actually, I might, I might jump on Spotify after this and see if it is. Um, she has said that it's still much too dangerous, even though everybody in Tokyo is now triple vaxxed and had probably has had Omicron already. But it's still much too dangerous to have festivities, springtime festivities in the park. You know, you should not, you know, drink or celebrate anything. <laughs> Please don't. Um, instead, simply walk through the park and enjoy them, which I think hmm. most people in Tokyo have been pinned up inside for two years. They got through the Olympics. They got vaccinated. They've had Omicron. It's all over pretty much. I'm not saying it's all over. It's still going. But, you know, for most people, they've reached some kind of point now where it's like, you know what? I am going to go look at a flower. I'm going to eat an onigiri. I'm going to eat a skune. I'm going to eat some meat, some, some sticks. I want to get drunk with my friends and there's nothing you can do about it. And I reckon that's the stage of red now. So yeah. we'll see. I, I'm, I might go do mine this Saturday. We'll see. Well, it's funny that you said that. So when I sent Todd the pictures that you sent me, um, he said the first one you sent me and then he sent me a bunch more. He said, so beautiful to see the cherry blossoms. It looks like ooing apart. It's such a beautiful time of year. Here's a few pictures of uh, Nagoya when I was there. Um, so isn't that funny, right? Like, I mean, you talk about knowing your stuff. Yeah, well, Oeno Park is Oeno Park is the place. Um, you know, I mean, if you don't like crowds and you don't want to, you want to. I mean, most people these days, when they're tourists, they they um want to get off the beaten track, you know, and they want to go see things that other people aren't seeing and stuff. Which means, you know, we have seventeen thousand people climbing Mount Everest every day now. But like Oeno Park in downtown Tokyo is like got this big boulevard of cherry blossoms, and mm -hmm. uh, but everything. This is the thing to me. Thing for me, Shane, is that they're they're boarded off, so they've kind of put like road cones around a lot of the cherry blossoms in the major parks, and put like those kind of like do not enter poles between the road mm -hmm. cones, so they've, they've like barred off the trees or like the area around them. Not everywhere, just in the major parks in Tokyo, just uh, to, to prevent people from having hanami, these picnics. And that's crazy to me because I think like people are going to just do them anyway. And so you, I mean, this is meant to be a COVID precaution measure, but really you're just forcing the same number of people into a smaller space. You're, yeah. you're squishing people together. They're going to do this thing anyway, you know? But, yeah. Well, but, and not yeah. to mention you're ruining all their pictures. <laughs> Don't ruin the yeah. photos, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I tell you what, nothing will stand between these people and, and, and uh, the cherry blossoms when it's photo time. You will just see hordes of people just like paparazzi and, you know, flowers all day it is the most uh photographed time of year that is not a real stat or a fact i just made that up but i'm saying it is the most photographed you're convinced it's a couple of weeks right is that how long lasts it depends on the weather like last year it was freakishly early it was nine days before average this year i think it's four days before the average bloom day but if it's really warm um what happens is the the green leaves are shoot up behind them and they push all the mm -hmm. petals off and so if it's really warm, it'll be over quickly. It's been a bit, a bit colder, but it is rainy and windy. And these are quite delicate flowers. So if you have a cold still time, it can be two, two to three weeks. If you have a blustery warm time, it can be like two, three days. Bye-bye, Sakura. 
Well, and that's, it's that Uina Park that um, Todd shared the story about, about overlooking it and seeing just this endless sea of uh, cherry blossoms and how that was one of the dreams that him and his wife had had. It was just absolutely beautiful story. Uh, very cool. Chris Gilbert is in Tokyo. He's from New Zealand. He was in Japan. Then he was in Canada. He's back in Japan. And he was uh, one of our, our members of the shift here, one of the shift head crew, uh, him and Potato Chip Gilbert. Um, with a tour around the world, Potato Chip Gilbert was his imaginary cat that never existed. Um, tour around the world, where are you going to take us here? How about some America tour? America. Yeah, okay, so we're going to go from uh, pink and pretty to pink and fluffy, from cherry Ooh. blossom to flamingos. Ooh, um, you know what's fun? Can I tell you a fun flamingo story? Of course you can. Now that I have a dog, which is a real dog, unlike your fake cat, um, uh, she has a flamingo. And Very I wild. call her Flamingo. Your dog has a flamingo, like a real flamingo. Yeah, like, yeah, like a stuffed flamingo. Like she carries oh, it around in her mouth. Oh. And she's very proud of it. Um, she's it, very what, proud of it. Fl- what's its name again? Flamingo. Flamingo. Uh, okay, I've got a joke coming up in this um, in this bit, which I think is probably worse than that name. So I think okay, you might be safe with that shame. But that nice story about your your doggy and flamingo. Very excited. I was very proud of that name, even though you think it's dumb. That's. Still proud. Yeah. Where's your flamingo? Th- it's a dog. In 2005, Shane and everyone, two flamingos in Kansas took the opportunity of a stormy night to break out of jail. And by jail, I mean zoo, which is just animal jail. Uh, now, 17 years later, one has been spotted after their Great Escape-esque tunneling. Well, no, they didn't tunnel. They, f- they flew. Um its name is num. Uh, its name is uh, number four hundred and ninety-two. It's a great name. Uh, video nice shot name. by an environmentalist about twenty days ago shows uh, that bird and its leg band that says four hundred and ninety-two on it um, somewhere in Texas. It was found at Rhodes Point in Cox Bay in Texas, which is some one thousand one hundred and twenty-one kilometers from Sedgwick County Zoo in Wichita, Kansas, from which it escaped. Uh, heroically uh, in 2005, 17 years ago. Now, 1,121 kilometers from Sedgwick County Zoo to where it was found at Rhodes Point, Texas. I looked that up. That would be a traveling speed of 66 k's a year for this flamingo. Or I didn't know flamingos about, could actually fly. Well, they can totally fly. Oh, I, wait, I don't, wait, can they fly? I thought they like fluttered about. You know, like they just kind of like maybe got like three feet off the air and they're like, and then maybe they fall fall down again, and but they land on Pretty one. Pretty sure that's a turkey, but that's my flight. Flamingos travel at approximately thirty-five miles an hour. Over short distances, they can fly up to forty miles an hour during long distance flights with supportive winds. Okay, so what is with this bird traveling one hundred and eighty meters a day? Then, if they can fly so fast. I'm assuming, of course, I went in a straight line. The ankle bracelet? Yeah, Yeah, the ankle. Yeah, good point. Um, Yeah, so this this is, but I actually, I'm quite wrong because um, it was also been spotted multiple times in the last 17 years in Wisconsin, Louisiana, and Texas multiple times. So it did actually go around a bit. Um, And it was, and surprise, surprise, it was sometimes often seen with other wild flamingos. Outrageous. Almost like it doesn't know it's meant to go back to the zoo. Hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the staff had clipped their wings. They flew away in the storm. Um, one has never been seen again. So one of these 
this pair of hooligan flamingos um, has just flown away and it, it's gone. It's having a great time. Um, this one is uh, doing, you know, kind of like a Kerouacian trip around the U.S. with other flamingos. Um, it hasn't been seen in Mexico yet. So, you know, it's staying inside the U.S. border. Um, zoo officials, this is my favorite bit. Zoo officials have never made plans to recapture it, despite all of these sightings, saying there's no easy way to do so without disturbing the other wildlife. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Can't you just imagine the RCMP doing that, you know? Like, if only they had the same cops in Vancouver when I lived there. You know, like, even if they weren't chasing after anyone, just in their patrol cars down commercial going, burp, burp, you know, like, that's disturbing everybody. They're not even chasing anybody. It's like, burp, oh. and they're cop cars, and these guys don't want to catch a flamingo because it might disturb the other flamingos. If the RCMP did it, man, there would be, they would do it, and then um, there would be some sort of cover-up because one of the police officers said something to the flamingo, and then there would be an investigation afterwards, and they would find out that, in fact, there... Uh, you know, there was more flamingos and a couple extra ones got away and there would be some, you know, reporting three years later about some lawsuit of you know, $500 million for, by the flamingos over mistreatment of something. It would be something along those lines. I mean, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a lot of bureaucracy and I don't want to see that kind of bureaucracy for one bird. But I do think that, you know, like if you are the zoo and it's like you're spending all this energy to like, hey, here's the thing, like they don't even want the bird. Right? They don't they don't want to recap why is this a news story? People just keep seeing this flamingo around, it, often with other flamingos, and they're just like, Oh yeah, th- there it is, that's the one. Huh, let's put it in the news. There's that cool bird again. Huh, okay. And it just turns up in Associated Press in my in my news feed and then it's like, here's a story. And it's like, no, you get to the end, it's like it's not actually a story. They don't even want this bird. It's just a normal flamingo. So you sound more angry that you read the whole thing to the end, thinking there was going to be some romantic ending, and the little uh, Firmingo fell in love with the lady Firmingo, and then they made little Firmingo babies, and they went back to the zoo and lived happily ever after. You read the entire article, got to the end, and now you're mad. <laughs> they had their little babies, and they went back to prison. I don't think that's the happy ending. I think, I mean, the last, actually, the real last sentence of this story is, Flamingos, known for their distinctive pink feathers and long legs and necks, thank you for that news, Uh, these two Mm. were born in Africa and then shipped to Kansas Zoo in 2004 with 39 other flamingos. And I read that and I was like, oh dear lord, that's not a great way to end this story. But Shane, you are Mm. quite right. And this is my experience doing this bit on the shift. Uh, every week as I end, I read to the end of these stories and I get angry because most of the stuff that I read isn't actually news. It's just like, ha, flamingos. Ha! And they, you know, a bit of a, a thigh slap. And I, I read it and I talk about it on the show because what else am I going to do with my life? But it's, it's not news. My uh, flamingo joke isn't so bad now, is it? Flamingo? Um, I mean, considering how badly my, you know, 180 meters a day bit failed. No, the flamingo is actually quite good in hindsight. It's a dog. It's what a dog would call his flamingo. You have to imagine the dog voice. It's like Scooby. It's like Ruby Roo. Where's my flamingo? What's your What's your pup's name again? Harlow. Harlow. Potato chip Harlow. Mm, no, <laughs> Kevin oh, Bear. Kevin Bear Harlow. There you go. Your dog is now Kevin Bear. Oh, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be like Harlow Do, like Scooby Do, because she's a great thing. So. It's a great name for a dog. 
Anyway, there's your flamingo story. Do we have time for the Thank Chinese you. badminton players? I was wondering if we were going to get a flamingo story today. Yeah, again, let's go to the let's go to the uh, the Chinese athlete story because this is amazing to me. I love this story. Okay, so four Chinese uh, badminton players are now on probation for two years for failing to quote try their best at a doubles match in 2018. This is in the Fuzhou Open, uh, the quarterfinals in China, November 2018. Two-year probation, by the way, is huge. Like, how seriously did these guys take their badminton? I looked up the average age of a badminton player. It's 30. You know, so let's say they get mildly successful when they're like 20, and they've got until 30. Two years, it's like it's 20% of their career, gone. You know, because mm. someone was like, huh, they're not trying very hard, are they? Huh. Uh, it's world-ranked number two peer, uh, Li Junhui and uh, Lu Yanchen. And number 17 ranked pair, uh, He Jinting and Tang Qiyang. And that's one fifth of their careers gone. Um, apparently, it was the quarterfinals. There were some Danish players, of course, they were Danish, observing the match from the audience. And they uh, reported to the referee that this match is not being played seriously. Uh, the referee and the tournament management uh, tournament tournament manager intervened during uh, the second game of you know the, the second set of the game or whatever, and they asked uh, each player, uh, "Please do your best. Can you try a bit harder? Thank you." Uh, after the intervention, apparently the match noticeably increased in intensity and speed, um, but still, as of uh, December twenty twenty one, some tribunal thingy, all four players were charged with not trying hard enough. <laughs> How do you know? Like, honestly, how do you know if they're not trying? Can you tell when players aren't trying anything, you know, Shane? Well, as a hockey fan, I would say, yeah. I mean, some of it depends on the hockey team. Um, sure. I suppose you could probably see that. But the um, I, I badminton's amazing, first of all. My kids hate it in school. I loved badminton. Can we just all agree? Do we agree? BK, badminton, yes, no, awesome. I liked badminton. I don't. So know. did I. Yeah, I thought it was. Great. I loved it. Yeah. Hold a second. Jonathan. Hold a second. There's a, wait, wait. Before we go, to Jonathan, there was a strong question mark in what Brendan just said. He was like, "I liked badminton," and there was a question mark right in the middle of that before he continued. I just wanted to point that out before we continue. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Jonathan. I don't know if it was like it, it's. It's hard to admit. Like like badminton. Yeah. It's not the coolest of the sports. Yeah, exactly. Sure. You know. Um. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Chung, badminton, yes or no? Um, I mean, I played it once when I was like in middle school. I I don't play it anymore. I mean, my <laughs> grandpa time. was a badminton coach, but I, I don't I don't play it. I'm more of a basketball player. So, all right. So there you go. So yeah. so I, I mean, I had two votes for badminton. I would say you know that's uh, they better play seriously because I mean it's highly competitive that badminton. Yeah, but do you charge them? And also, by the way, badminton is a uh, very popular first Tinder date sport here in Japan, especially in the summertime. Um, people will have their, yeah, Brendan's doing a screwy face. I quite agree with you. Yeah. Um, they That's not what Tinder portable... was for. That's this. For playing badminton? I think it was, sir. And really? then they put up their little portable badminton net and they have their little shuttlecock. And they they had yeah. this like this guys and ladies who equally suck at badminton. This go oh ha 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 oh ha 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 in Jane Austen style is you know they suck at badminton in the park with everyone watching them, and we just sit there and be like oh those two are on their first Tinder date and the guy said to her in the chat hey you want to come play badminton with me and she took it literally and this is what happens. 
Wow. I had no idea. Well, if you take, so Chinese in badminton, uh, Chinese folks in badminton, th- those are like, that's an important sport in that country. Like that's a popular sport, important sport. I would imagine there's a few hockey fans that wish their, their hockey players that are making all kinds of money, uh, could be charged with not playing seriously enough here in Canada. Okay, Canada is a uh, slip on the ice and hit the rubber with the stick game. Baseball is hit the ball with the stick game. Rugby is kick the ball with the foot game. It's just, it's sports, you know, and I like sports and you like sports and everyone likes sports. We can argue about which sport is better, but that's what Twitter is for. But how seriously do you take badminton to the point in interviews the next month? The players themselves were like, hey, we just, we literally were trying our best but we were in really bad physical shape after a very long year. And I looked up in 2018 season, Hui and Chen, they did the Malaysian Masters where they reached the quarterfinals. They did the Indonesian Masters where they got to the grand final and lost. They did the All English Open where they reached the quarterfinals. And they were the winners of the uh, Asia Badminton Open Championship. And that's just like the major tournaments. There's a whole lot more exhibition around games and stuff included than that. This is the end of the season. These guys are pooped and i looked at the video too i did actual reporting this week i did actual youtubing i looked up the video of these guys playing and you know what i agree they just look tired they look like two tired well four tired boys and uh who are trying to play badminton and they're trying to do a good job um there was a dis and two of them won silver in the olympics by the way which was very conveniently before the disciplinary hearing um and uh, Pincho Stoinoy, which I refuse to believe is a real name. He was the referee, and he said he's never seen an incident like it in his 14-year career as a referee called Pincho Stoinoy. Uh, the Badminton World Federation revealed on Friday the panel had found them guilty. They began with three-month bans, pro- two-year probations. They've been charged their prize money. I mean, they, they still got prize money for not doing a very good job. That's how good they are. They got 12000 bucks or something. Um, and Lee, one of the players, actually retired anyway uh, after winning the the Olympic silver. So, well, you know what? Uh, the lesson to be taken away from here, Chris. Guess you should have got gold. <laughs> okay, so is that the lesson? All right. Okay, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I don't understand. I'm sure I'm gonna agree with you. Yes. In a communist country, I guess you should have got gold. My goodness. All right, Sir Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo here on the shift. Thanks for popping in, Chris. Appreciate it, buddy. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Last year, I introduced you to somebody that I had met only because she said some things that I thought were cool, and I thought she was really smart, and I really appreciated what Danae Mercer got up to. She was getting up to things online that I felt like mattered. Now, they actually, ironically, weren't really related to me, but... They hit me in a way that I just introduced myself and said, hey, would you ever be interested in coming on the show? Now I'd like to say she's a pal. I look forward to talking to her. Uh, Danae Mercer has millions of followers on the Instagrams and the socials. Danae takes a stand about body image, women's health. Uh, I, I would say humanity. It's a stand for what humanity could and, and really is versus what we think it is. And I love it. And joining us, uh, you're in Italy right now, I'm assuming, because uh, you're back home. Yeah, back in Italy. Um, so Danae's an American that was working abroad and then met an Italian and then got married. Congratulations. That's new since the last time we had you on the radio. Thank and you. Now, yeah. you're, now you're in Italy. Uh, it's been quite a whirlwind of a year. 
Yeah, it's exciting. Um, let's get right down to it. You're you're married. You're um, you're still sharing yourself online. The body image conversation has become quite nasty online. The amount of apps that can manipulate how you look has mm-hmm. skyrocketed. Um, there's no um, there's no. It feels like some days there's no stemming this river of well. BS, I suppose, in social media posts. When we first talked, I'd said to you, I said, you know, we'd come so far with magazines and photoshopping, and then now you can just do it yourself, which is unbelievable. It's true. It's true. And I think, you know, I think maybe we won't stem this river, as you said. I, I, I don't, I don't know that this will ever stop, especially as we see new and new and new technology that allows easier editing of faces of bodies. Like I went on a, a video editing app yesterday that edits your body and video. Um, to I made a, a video talking about how beauty trends change. And they have updated the app since last time I was on, where now with a, a single click of the button, you can change your whole body type. Like before you had to get manually go in and like shrink your waist and grow your hips and stuff. But now there's just a button and it, and it has different body types and you can pick one and it changes it in video. So... I would say I don't I don't know that the fight we have to fight is necessarily stemming this this tide. It's going to be about awareness and education around what's happening. It's a cartoon life. We've all become cartoons. It's an endless one of the things I don't know about you. I don't know if you like Halloween. I don't like Halloween because I always say I mean, it's beautiful. It's fun to just dress up and be whatever you want. But the reality is, is that every day is Halloween. It's just the one day of the year that we embrace it. And so wouldn't it be a beautiful world if we just dressed up the way we wanted all the time? <laughs> right? Because that's what I feel like this is kind of about. Yeah. And I think in a I think in a way, I think where this feels a little different is it it's almost things we can't quite achieve, or for the majority of people, they can't achieve easily, right? Like you can achieve certain drastic body transformations, maybe through a trainer, nutrition, and then surgeries, and the same with face. But technology these days, it's bringing this unachievable standard into the palm of your hand. Whereas costumes, I, I, I actually love costumes. I love dressing up on whatever occasion there is. And I think that's, that's kind of a beautiful expression and, and celebration of individuality. But these apps are, are sort of pushing us in the opposite direction, right? It's conforming us to, to whatever standard is existing right now. How hard is it for you to put yourself out there in a bathing suit every day and not standing <laughs> perfect? I mean, you know, body image has been a thing and we'll talk about some of the great work you're doing um, with with eating disorders and stuff like that. But I mean, you don't hesitate to put yourself, you know, there in in your bikini in the, you know, most natural pose that doesn't look perfect. And, um, you know, you, you're able to stand in that every day. I'm not sure that I would have the courage that you have uh, to do that, but you pull it off. <laughs> well, thank you. Honestly, I mean, days are easier. Some days are harder. I have days where I feel just more confident in my skin and times where it feels more difficult. But I've, I've been lucky enough to learn that when you show yourself as as you are, even on the days where you're not feeling your best or not feeling your strongest, there are going to be people around the world who will resonate with that. And their words and their responses can be what you need 
to help you feel a little bit better, to help you feel a little bit stronger. So even on days where I'm not loving my hips or my cellulite or this or that, if I show up, if I show up as, as who I really am, I feel better for it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I believe I shared this last time. I'll share it again for the sake of it. For anybody who struggles with the notion of I am fat, um, I always challenge the idea that you're actually just using the wrong words. The cool part is, is that when I am fat, you are not fat. You have fat. We have squishy bits in places that we may or may not like. And once you can acknowledge that, you know, maybe under your arm, you, you arm, the bottom of your arm waves a little bit when you stick your arm up, then you are also able to choose. Well, okay, do I love it as it is? Or maybe I do want to go to the gym more, or maybe I do want to eat differently. And, and maybe that's the determining factor. I don't draw any judgment of what is or what isn't. But when you change the word from when we look in the mirror to from I am fat to I have squishy bits or fat or whatever you want, then you can decide, okay, you know what? I have some, it's not an identifier. And I think that that as a society, we always get stuck in that, that we create this identification that I am this way. When in fact, just looking at your body, you actually just have it. And that makes a big difference to me. I love looking at it. I've never heard it put so succinctly. Let's talk about the past. Because you, uh, I mean, to find Danae Mercer is, trust me, everywhere online and so important um, to what you do. Actually, before I talk about the past, let's talk about a couple of the people that have started to share and take this stand with you. I know that you've shared some other people's posts that are taking a stand against this as well. I mean, is it safe to say that you might be inspiring a little bit of an army of pushback here on what social media looks like? Because it seems to become more and more evident. Oh, I, I, I don't know that I, I wouldn't say it was me, but I would say there has definitely been a shift over the last year, last two years towards more of a, a body confidence, Instagram versus reality. This is what's happening kind of pushback. And and that, I think, is is really powerful. I think some of the stuff that when I started two years ago and people were like, oh, my gosh, that's groundbreaking. Oh, my gosh, I had no idea. If I, if I had that same exact conversation now, I think a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, I, I kind of knew that. I, I realized that because it is, it is now getting to that stage where the conversation is happening, happening so frequently. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to see. It is beautiful. And you also inspire the conversation too at DanaeMercer.com with the journals, the love journals and those things, which Thanks. is uh, great, by the way. So you can get yourself a, a self-love journal on there too. Now I'm going to caution the fellas that um, I'm going to caution the fellas with the intention of inspiring the fellas. Uh, there's a lot of lady talk here. There's a, talk, a lot of talk about lady bits. Um, <laughs> it might be weird, but here's the thing. Um, I will say this is that guys, if you've ever felt that the the lady talk is you've never really understood it maybe you weren't raised that way whatever this is actually a great way to get introduced to it because it's a very casual conversation um for me i embrace that part uh this is just my opinion uh one of the most beautiful things about femininity is all the lady bits you have no problem talking about all the lady things even makes me blush sometimes embrace the blush but i do encourage ever even the fellas if you want to understand what your a partner goes through if you're married to a woman or with a woman then um then go and spend some time with this this is a nice easy way for guys to learn about 
See, I don't even know what to call it. Lady bit things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, I, I think a lot of what I what I talk about are, as you say, like lady bits or, or female concerns, right? Like things that women or girls or teen girls or adult women have to navigate and things that maybe weren't discussed when I was younger. And some of the most beautiful comments and responses I've had have been from men who say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not your target demographic, but I use your posts to better understand what my, you know, my teenage daughter is going through or what my wife who is maybe doing strange stuff with food or struggling in a bikini, what's going on in her mind and how I can help. So that, that stuff really, I think that's so powerful and it moves me a lot. And I think it takes a, a brave and strong man to, to be willing to approach some of those topics. I really respect that. Nico is a brave and strong man willing to take on these topics. And he is your husband now, who you commonly refer to as the Italian on your, uh, on your posts. Um, tell me about Nico. Tell me how amazing he is. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is wonderful. He's kind of been thrown into this whole social media thing. At first, you know, it's, um, cause it's sometimes when I'm out, there will be someone from our community who recognizes me. And before Nico, they would, it would just be me. But now they're like, oh, it's it's you and oh, it's the Italian. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, you know, he's he is, he's wonderful. I would say he's a, a very forward facing man who has either he's learned about a lot of the things with me or been like really open to discussing and sharing. And, you know, he is, a, he is an Italian man in a maybe a more traditional society and the fact that he I remember I um my first I I I decided to collaborate with I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this but like a, a company that produces toys can I mm -hmm. talk about oh you can talk about everything yep absolutely okay. this is the oh. hey we're the nighttime you can do whatever you like okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure not sure the rules about radio um I decided to, to collaborate with a company that produces toys and before I did anything with them, I remember asking him, I was like, are you okay with this? You know, it's not just you that's going to see it. It's, it's going to be your family. They're going to see it like traditional Italian family. Is that going to be okay? And he was, he was very much like, well, baby, if, if you're proud of this and if you're happy with this, then I support it. And I think that, that sums him up in a word is like, he is a man so confident in himself and comfortable with himself that he, I would say, uplifts and empowers me to be myself too. Wow. That's inspiring, I think, for most people. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I like him. I mean, I, I put a ring on it, so. Yeah, hey. <laughs> if you like it, you better put a ring on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've been doing a lot. Danae Mercer on Instagram is like 2.4 million followers um and talking about all kinds of things it's not you know i i, I really almost struggle with the women's issues things because they're humanity issues right and 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 men deal with women when they're emotional and try to support them and often will say i don't know what's happening right now <laughs> right so they're not really i mean they're women's issues and absolutely i don't mean to diminish that part but really they are they are human issues and you take yeah. that stand on and, and nourishment has been a big part of that you you've really started to share some of the history some of the old photos of yourself with eating disorders where you were so thin and um 
it is a part of, it must be confusing because you're able to give all of these gifts today to other people because those battles that you went through back then. And so it's an, it's, it's gotta be an essential part of who you are today. But at the same time, when you look back on it, you shake your head and you say, I can't believe that I have not nourished myself to the point where I was that thin turns into an eating disorder. And you've actually taken that on in a big way now with your work with NIDA, uh, the National Eating Disorder Association, which does cross over across North America too. Uh, you're an ambassador for them and sharing that, that conversation. So how does that feel coming full circle? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I think one of the things we, we can never hate who we were, even, even if it was a hard time or a really dark time. We can't hate that person because that person shaped who we are now. And I, I feel that way with, with my time with my eating disorder. You know, I, I don't hate that girl. I'm not ashamed of her. I feel my heart breaks for her because I know she was using food as a coping mechanism, which is something we see so often today in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, binge eating disorder or bulimia or anorexia, like whatever form it takes, orthorexia, where you're only eating quote unquote healthy food. So I don't, I feel sadness for her that she used such an unhealthy coping mechanism. I feel her pain. I want to protect her. I want to help her get better. But also she did, she did shape who I am now. Like those those struggles inform a lot of what I talk about. And it is, it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy and so thankful to be working with Nita, who, you know, they're an incredible eating disorder resource. They have a free helpline. You know, if you're having a bad body image day or you're about to do something weird with food, you can just call it this free chat and you talk to someone. That's, that's incredible. That's powerful. They have free resources for campuses. I'm working specifically with a program that it's called their Campus Warrior Program. It, it brings resources to universities, which is where I developed my eating disorder and, and also where I recovered. So it brings resources to universities, to college students. So they're a really incredible society that I think does a lot of good and they do it for free, which is, you know, amazing. Is it safe to remind everybody that you know, me at the end of a day when I binge on popcorn, you know, uh, we're all not very far away from the experience of what coping and eating looks like. For some people, it goes down to a place that needs medical intervention, emotional and mental inter intervention and those things. But we're not all of us, especially through COVID, let's just call it for what it is. We're all not very far away from tipping over that cliff if we're not careful. So I think it. we often say, well, I've never had an eating disorder, but you know what? We're by the science. We're all not very far away from it. This is something we all should pay attention to, if not for ourselves, but the people around us. Well, I do think a lot of people have disordered eating or disordered eating habits where, like you said, you know, if you're really, really stressed and you go for a bowl of popcorn, is that is that a healthy way to handle that stress or is that just a coping mechanism that temporarily is going to smooth over the stress, give you a distraction. And then when you're done, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel extra guilty because you didn't want to eat all that popcorn, but you did, but you still have that other stress and then you're more stressed and you're more anxious. So maybe, maybe you do it again, you know, just to feel good again, just to have that good feeling. And 
this is the this is the danger of unhealthy coping mechanisms is it's it's it becomes a quite vicious messy cycle and i do think a lot of people struggle with that are you speaking again are you back on the are you going to be doing more speaking things are you going to get back into that world has it opened up for you yet i mean you moved from dubai to italy so that in itself must have been an adventure um now you're married and you know trying to have a family you shared that journey because you did share the loss of a of a pregnancy in the fall Mm -hmm. and um you know you've been through a lot so have you been able to get back into getting in front of people and and all of that i actually in february before we started recording i was saying how it's been kind of the busiest months ever i've had for work in february i think i had four different speaking events within the course of like two weeks and one of them was me flying out to Dubai. One of them was in the US. So it was like multiple calls at 11 p.m. or midnight. Um, and it was, it, you know, I, I love it. I love the chance to connect and meet people and interact. It's one of the best blessings of my job. But I also, um, as you mentioned, I, I suffered a loss. And we've been talking to a fertility expert. And one of the things that actually a couple of different experts have told us is to really monitor my stress. So I'm trying to uh, keep an eye on the amount of travel and late nights and, and high pressure, at least for the moment. Cause you know, I, I, I'd love it. Like I love my job. I don't, I would never change it, but I just think trying to make a, a calm Zen safe house for, for hopefully the future baby. Mm, that's wonderful. I hope so too. The um, you did share with me um, last year in conversation a story about your mom, mm-hmm. and uh, your mom's name was Linda, and um, I I can't help but ask you. You've come a long way, right? You, I mean, you got married. Uh, you moved like country to country. It's not even like you just moved. Like you went from country to country. And um, when you go through the tragedy of what you went through, um, is that one of those times where you can be grateful that, you know, Linda's there to, to take care of all that for you and be with you and hold your hand through it and, and all of those things? Because um, that seems um, incredibly special. Like it seems, like you said but earlier, right? You, you, who you are and who you were, and, and it's so deeply woven in, in where you are today. Um, it's just my heart, I guess, Danae, that I feel like that's a big part of that, that one of the gifts that you get to carry is, is that always with you. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, my, it's crazy. Cause my mom passed, you know, when I was 19, I'm what, 35, 34, 35 now. Um, and sometimes I think I'm like, oh, she only, she passed like four years from now in my age, you know, you, you start to think of it that way. You're like, Oh, three more years, two more years, one more year. Yeah. Four years. And yet I, I feel like she is, she's very close in a way. And, and it comes from a different place, a few different places. Um, I have a, a large Spanish speaking community and they will often comment on my posts and they comment Linda, Linda, Linda. And when that first happened, I remember being so startled and confused because that's obviously my mom's name but it it means it means beautiful which i didn't oh, know see i didn't know that i, I didn't know but yeah in, in spanish linda linda means beautiful and so now i know um but it really touches my heart whenever they comment because it feels like that little 
that little connection that just, you know, is probably just complete chance, but mm. feels like that little connection for me. Maybe not, maybe not chance, maybe. <laughs> well, exa- exactly. And I, I'd like to think that given her very difficult life and everything she struggled with, you know, I wish, I wish she could see, see me now. I think she, yeah, I, I wish she was alive now so I could make things easier for her. But I think she would be just relieved to know that I found love and he has a beautiful family and, and it's, I feel supported and all these wonderful things. I, I feel very thankful. I would, because everyone starts to talk about travel again, I would uh, probably lose my radio membership card. If I didn't ask you, since you're living in Italy now, um, is this one of these places that we all should go to, Who those who have not been? Absolutely. Florence is incredible, and it's very friendly for English-speaking travelers. Um, so highly, highly, highly recommend coming to Florence. You could do a trip where you go to Venice, which is it's that dream city where everything is built on water. There's no cars in the city. You take boats to get around these little canals. You go to Venice, you go to Rome, you come to Florence, you go down to Amalfi, which is like what you see in picture books with the lemons. That's Amalfi. And oh my gosh, the food here is, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, I love it. I, uh, I'm going to try to talk you into letting um, Nico be my friend. Um, I think this is a good plan. Uh, Danae Mercer is... Um, uh, I can't, I can never put a, everyone, anybody asks me, well, who's Danae Mercer? I always say, well, I think you just need to meet her because you are so many things to so many people and I absolutely love it. Uh, but writing and speaking and taking a big stand for those health issues and what matters. And, and, um, I don't want to say fighting against, cause I don't feel like you're fighting against anybody. Actually. I feel like it's more, it occurs to me more of a, just a leadership. I often say that when we speak about life today, we need more leaders in life. And I feel like you're not fighting because when you're fighting, there's that tug of war, there's that rope. And I don't feel like you're pulling on the rope. I feel like you're walking away from the rope and saying, come with me. Well, let's do it this way. I, that, that's pretty cool. I, that's the way that I, that's my terribly not short elevator description of what Danae Mercer is. Oh dear. Oh, I, I love it. I love one of my favorite quotes at the moment is, Whenever you're angry, you're a co-star in someone else's story. And if you think about it, it's actually, it's really true. Like whenever we're grumpy, whenever we're angry, whenever we're, we're responding to something else. We're not in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I I like the approach of just, yeah, walking away from the tug of war and, and starting a different conversation. I like that. It's beautiful. Well, what else can we all do? I mean, you have this community of shift heads at nighttime here all across Canada. What can we do as a community? What can we do to support you to make sure that we have more allies that are in your corner? Well, gosh, I mean, if you want to come say hi, there's my Instagram. I also have TikTok, which is both rewarding and incredibly painful. Like when you just see all these little teenagers who you know, because it is a a teen-dominated platform and just some of the stuff they say about their bodies or about how they feel about themselves, oh, it breaks my heart. It's so sad. It's so crushing, really. But anyways, I'm there too on TikTok or on my website, there's free self-love journals and that's just my name. So if you want to, to join our community over there, you're welcome too. 
I'll share all of these on our uh, Facebook group so everyone can get easy access uh, to it and to what you're up to. Um, the stand you're taking for women, I'm a dad. I have a 15, almost 16-year-old daughter. And so I, and I think all of the dads, and this is that part of that crossover part of the conversation that I think we need to make sure that is there. Uh, as a dad, I can't be more grateful for the work you do. It really just goes to show that um, you know, I'm surprised, I guess, that there's not an army of dads that are, that like you could have, you could even do this is terrible marketing of me to go there, but you could have like Danae's dads and all this <laughs> army of dads that are learning how to talk to their teenage daughters. Cause this is exactly where it starts is all of these things, even as simple as I'm going to the pharmacy. Do you need me to pick, pick you up any, uh, lady tool things, right? Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, exactly, though, like, right, like, so normalizing conversations around menstrual products and dads are dads are, God, I think a dad shapes a, a girl's relationship with men for the rest of her life, you know, and if a dad can be there and never shame her body, never pick apart how she looks, if they can normalize talking about periods, which happens every month for you know, over 30 years for the majority of women, if they can normalize, like not making that a dirty, shameful, embarrassing secret, or if they can normalize talking about consent and relationships, like how do you say no to someone that's a stranger? How do you say no to, to someone you like? When have they crossed a boundary? Like, so dads are, dads are so important and, and so powerful and i would encourage every dad to have some kind of conversation with his daughter as, as often as he can thank you for being so generous with your time well thank you for having me it's always a pleasure this is the shift podcast Okay, let's get started with this conversation about male birth control. There's some new research that's come out, and the new research has basically been researching the possibility of male birth control. This has been going on for a long time, and joining us in the conversation here is um, Gunda George. She's a PhD, and uh, she has a guest with her as well to talk about where things are at. So tell us where we are now and why all of this is um, is so exciting. Well, you know, I have um, had the same feelings that, you know, uh, for women, there are many, many options uh, for birth control, and there are not many for men. And so I've really devoted uh, the last 20 years of my life uh, to work on non-hormonal male contraception. And so we're finally, I mean, maybe the second time at a stage where we think we're going to go to a clinical trial. And this time it looks really, really good so far. And I'm really excited. And we really hope that we will be reporting back to you by the end of the year that a clinical trial has started. This is exciting. Now, non-hormonal, you said, I'm assuming, keeping in mind that I am so far out of my lane with this, uh, that the traditional birth control pill, if you will, is hormone-based and all that stuff. Is that what you're referring to, something different Yeah, so Norman, that? can you maybe uh, take that question? Yeah. So when the first birth control pill for women was discovered, that was in 1960s. At the time, it was hormonal. So it targeted the female sex hormones, and that's how it either stopped the ovulation 
and or you know messed with the, the process of pregnancy then the expectation was there that we could make a male birth control pill by uh, interfering with the male hormone the targeting that route but uh, targeting male hormone leads to many side effects we know that giving extra testosterone leads to many side effects also you know, also interfering with the action of testosterone leads to side effects such as weight gain depression decreased libido which a lot of men wouldn't like so Well, Well, that becomes problematic, doesn't it? When you decrease libido, when the whole point is to be able to um, just have plant parenthood and birth control, not necessarily to influence everyone's uh, physical lives. Yeah, yeah. So that's why our lab was focused on making a non-hormonal pill. So that the expectation is that if we target non-hormonal route, then that could lead to like no side effect associated with the hormonal pills. So this mm-hmm. is the first time like we are reporting a, a candidate that is that has the all the properties that we are looking for so far like it is safe it works like it reduces the sperm count and it also uh, like in mice at least it didn't decrease their libido because even after giving the compound the mice actually they mated with the female mice and that led to almost no pregnancy 99% reduction in pregnancy so that's got us mm-hmm. really excited about this uh, work so far. 99%. That, that is in the realm of all birth control, though, isn't it? I mean, when you look at the pill, when you look at physical contraceptives like condoms, I mean, that's really, is that the magic number or is that different? So uh, this was in mice. So, you know, how that number would translate in human, we don't know. It could be right. better or, or lower because mice are actually really fertile. You know, if you look at how much offspring they produce. So... Mm-hmm. In human, it could be better, but uh, we also one thing that is kind of uh, we assume that people would use it, you know, ideally every day, routinely, they would properly use the condom. In those cases, you know, we get to 99% efficacy, but you know, right. people are people, so they make mistakes, they forget to take the pill. So, in those cases, I think uh, 1900 women end up being pregnant even after taking the uh, pill. So mm-hmm. that's why uh, the in male birth control pill could be, you know, is kind of dual protection. So men could take it, women could take it. So that would you know, right. make the family planning more solid. We talk about many topics here on The Shift and, uh, you know, it always comes down to that one piece. Whether we're talking about computers or viruses or hacking or jobs and employment and all the things, it always comes back to that place of the human error, right? I mean, that's the one thing. It doesn't matter how good your pill is or how good the condom is, but um, if you're touching all the wrong places in the wrong order, um, it really can uh, change the outcome. Um, and humans always mess things up. So I suppose from this perspective, um, it's pretty exciting. Now, can you speak to the, my my knowledge of what is the birth control pill is from so long ago. I would assume that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the technology, the treatment styles have changed. Um I always knew it was very hard on women's bodies with hormonal treatment. Maybe you can update all of us that have not been updated on the impact of the birth control pill on women versus the potential impact of what a new birth control pill for men uh, could look like. Because I think that we are living, most of us, in old knowledge. 
<clears throat> so let me say a few words about that. Of course, initially, uh, pretty high doses were given. And so the dose has been uh, reduced. The compounds have been improved. They are better tolerated. Uh, there's a lot of interest uh, among women also <clears throat> with implants. So you have an implant uh, of your uh, uh, birth control pill, and it's there for a long time. So that cut, cuts down on, you know, forgetting to take the pill. So that's that's a really great thing. So for men, we are at this point in time aiming at an oral age and meaning also taking it every day. And I would say that even if you maybe skip a dose, if you don't do it too often, it's probably not going to be, you know, <clears throat> making you fertile all of a sudden again. So that's not going to happen. So I don't see a problem there. But long term, we could, of course, also think about an implant, for example, um, for men, you know, so it's going to be a, a future development. And so what we've seen in the female I guess um, uh, in female contraception, we could, you know, think about that, you know, something like an implant might also be a good option for a male uh, pill. So you have it implanted for a certain time and then you can take it out uh, when you want to, uh, you know, have, have a fa start a family. One of the things that I, it really hits me with is that I guess I worry about everybody taking everything. I mean, some people are very worried about getting pregnant, whether that's for health reasons or personal reasons or whatever it is. And I always worry about if a woman's taking a birth control pill and then a man's taking a birth control pill and, you know, they're wearing a condom, uh, maybe a wetsuit. I don't know what they do. Like they literally are doing everything they can. Um, I suppose that's kind of the point and that's personal choice. But I guess I wanted to just to share that it sits with me is that, you know, should couples be having, con this is not a thing just yet, but of what's best for them and not to just sort of blanket everything at once because I, it seems to me to be not accomplishing much if everybody's taking every pill all the time um, versus, you know, that classic human part where we need to just talk about what's best for everybody. So I feel like it all comes down to choice. You know, the goal of us uh, as a scientist working in the, uh, developing male birth control pill is to give them another choice so that you know because there mm -hmm. is a lot of women who cannot take the pill the, those mm -hmm. pill for women they are also hormonal we are not talking much about it but they're hormonal and they lead to side effects we know that like it leads to weight gain mood changes and things like that but mm -hmm. having additional option for a couple to choose from or for partners to choose from or even for men who are you know protective about their uh, reproductive uh, capacity or, you know, who want the autonomy over their reproductive life, control over, you know. And we, sometimes we hear all the stories about, right, that, uh, like, men didn't want to father a baby, but end mm -hmm. up having a baby. So in those cases, men would have more control over their uh, reproductive life. So, you know, this has a lot of implication, like, aside from just mm -hmm. being another birth control agent. I like how you say that, right? When you um, when you put it that way, uh, that's that's fantastic perspective. How um, how long now? I mean, you've worked on this for a very long time. How long is it going to take for this to um, to come through? Uh, and how long does this normally take in the world of pills and medications? Are we still looking at a few yes, years? Yes, we are. Now? And so, you know, <clears throat> the typical answer is ten years, right? Um, but wow. we have a really good partner called Your Choice Therapeutics. It's a small company out of San Francisco, and they have been incredibly quick uh, 
uh, very, very uh, fast in uh, moving this forward. And so we will hopefully have a clinical trial by the end of, of the year. Hmm. That's remarkable. How excited are you for this? I mean, 20 years. That's an incredibly long time to be working on projects like this. Noman, tell me, tell me how exciting this is really to start to see, because I would imagine when you're doing research like this, you're talking 40 years, 50 years, nothing has really changed. And all of a sudden there's light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. Yeah, that's very exciting, especially, you know, it's coming from an academic lab, because if we look at the industry lab, they have a lot of resources and, you know, a lot of uh, money going into that, but academic lab they work on a very limited resource. So uh, it it is it is not every day that we see a candidate like that good and ready to go into clinical trial. Because in the history of mm-hmm. our lab, I think we went for like two or two clinical trials. So this is a mm-hmm. this is a landmark achievement for our lab as well. If it goes to clinical trial, and if it approves, then that would be even uh, more amazing. I would say. Yeah, this is fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much for giving us the insight on this exciting news. I mean, there's so many women that have gone for so long with birth control that are just hoping for something, whether it's health or allergies or whatever it is that makes it difficult for them. And what an opportunity that might be along the horizon for couples to be able to have more solutions and men to have a solution too. Um, must be very, very, very exciting. Uh, Noman, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. You know, we always love talking about our work because this is not only about, you know, what we do. It is also the more people know about it, there will be more awareness and, you know, there will be more demand because there is a, you know, when there is a new thing in the market, there is always this phase of early adoption. And the more people know about it, the more normalized it gets. And that's always good especially for something yeah. as revolutionary as male birth control pills. Well, and people talking about it helps so much too. This is so important. I love it. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.